Hello, hello, and welcome to the Weekend Check-In Podcast with me, Al. It's 9.48. It's the 1st of October. White rabbits! White rabbits! You meant to say white rabbits on the 1st of the month. I'm not at all sure why. It's a good luck thing, though, isn't it? Is it a good luck thing? Who knows? Well, I tell you what, you must be feeling all neglected. All neglected! Because where was I last Sunday? Where, Where was I? The weekend check-in podcast. It was the weekend and I didn't check in. I didn't call. I didn't write. I didn't send a note. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry about that. It was a crazy, 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 crazy weekend. And um, I planned to do the podcast right until the very last moment. And then both time and energy ran out for me. So I'll tell you what I did last, last weekend. So on the Saturday morning... I did uh, a workshop in connecting communication. Nonviolent communication is the pro- probably the proper name for it. So I did a workshop in that in the morning. I came home, got all my stuff together, dashed off to Bolton in the night to do a gig. So I did my first show in a couple of months since I've had my vocal wobble. I did that in um, in Bolton that evening. And... Uh, and then I got an opportunity to do this all-day improv workshop with a, a leading international improver. Uh, so that was on the Sunday when I should have been having a chat to you. So I got up a little bit late after my gig, a little bit kind of like, uh, you know, when you lie there in bed, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't want to get up. But I got up and uh, I went to that and that finished about... That finished about six-ish, and then I got home. What time did I get home? Must have got home about quarter to seven. And then on the Monday, I had another non-violent communication workshop. And on the Tuesday, I had another non-violent communication workshop. So I had to kind of gather all my resources for that. And then by the time I'd finished, I had to eat. And then by the time I'd finished eating, it must have been about half nine in the evening. And so that was that. So um, this is a very long-winded way of explaining, where was I last Sunday? Where, what, well, I'm back now. I'm back now. So, uh, so don't you worry. <laughs> yeah, so I did my first gig. It was a cracker as well in uh, Bolton last Saturday. Um, it was uh, Bolton Socialist Club, which has been there since the year dot. It's got a, a really interesting history. And uh, they gave me this little pamphlet uh, before the gig, so I was sat there reading this pamphlet all about the history of um, the Bolton Socialist Club, and you know Tom Mann went there, and it was it was just a really nice, interesting read, really. Um, but what a lovely gig it was! You walk into rooms sometimes as a performer, especially with my kind of music, and uh, you'll walk into a room sometimes and think, "Oh no," because you just know that the kind of Rooms have a psychology, I think. You know, the way you set up a room has a certain psychology. So you know, for instance, that when you go into a certain room, the audience are not going to be as connected to you. Um, Well, in Bolton, I walked in, I just thought, yeah, this is perfect. It's a lovely small huddle of a room, and it'd been set up so that all the people were kind of around in, in three different, almost like a horseshoe, like a square horseshoe. I thought, this is going to be perfect. And from the get-go, everyone was bang up for it. They've got a clarion choir there, and uh, apparently they sing some of my songs, so 
I opened up with I Want Roses to Stay, my pro-immigration song. And, um, yeah, they were they were all singing from the off. And so we had a lovely night together. Uh, I, love, I love gigs where the audience are up for it like that. Um, Ken Dodd, you know, the Liverpool comedian. By Jove! By by Jove! What a, what a lovely day! What a lovely day to 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 stick a marrow through your neighbour's letterbox and say, "Watch out, Missus! The aliens have landed!" By Jove! What a what a lovely day! What a lovely day to 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 go to Moscow and walk into Red Square, knock at the door of the Kremlin, and say, "Is Lenin?" What a what a lovely day! By Jove! It's tatty hilarious. Well, him. If you're an international listener, you won't know what on earth I've just done. <laughs> yeah, Ken Dodd, Liverpool comedian. He's about 90 now, but he's still going. But he, he has this lovely phrase. He says, um, there are two ways to do a show. You can do a show at an audience, or you can do a show with an audience. And he was saying, I always prefer to do the show with the audience. And I'm the same, Ken. I'm the same. By Jove! What what a what a lovely what a lovely day. <laughs> yeah, so that was uh, I knew I knew before there were even people sat in them seats that it was going to be a good one, and it was. And um, I, I'm I'm actually knackered this morning because uh, I've only had about six hours sleep. Um, I was in Glossop last night for the Defiance sessions, and they're run by Matt Hill, who, by the way, um, is when are you coming to Liverpool, Matt? Let's publicise this. Because I'm sure some of my listeners would love to go to this. Let's see. Right, on the 12th of October at 81 Renshaw Street, Matt Hill is coming with his show, Battle for the Ballot. And it's kind of one of those um, talks and slides and music. He was the the resident songwriter at the People's History Museum. And so, uh, yeah, he's coming to Liverpool at 81 Renshaw Street on the 12th of October. So go and support that, because that'll be good. But Matt runs these sessions in Glossop, in Glossop Labour Club. And it's very different from the Labour Club I remember up in Heighton when I used to go um, when I was 16, uh, up on Diners Lane there. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a small little place, um, but really lovely. And uh, that was a lovely gig as well. And I, I finished off there with the Internationale, which always... Which always makes me happy, um, no matter what it does to everyone else. But there were plenty of fists in the air there as well. So um, that's my first two gigs since my vocal wobble. (laughs) And they seem to go all right. I've got a bit of vocal tiredness this morning, I think. But um, yeah, I'm going to go back into the studio, I think. I'll I'll give it, well, I'm going to have to give it a week or so because my, my schedule is mad. But on the in the back end of October, I'm going to put some time aside. I'm going to get back into the studio. I'm going to have a think about which... Because I've been doing some recording before the wobble. Um, but I was just picking songs out the sky, really. I'll actually curate 12 songs that I want to record uh, for my next album. Um, and I'll start doing that um, this, this month. I do actually owe my subscribers a few songs anyway. So I'll get them out the way too. Um, because they've been very patient with me while I've had me wobble, even though they've been subscribing to me each month. So um, they're going to get a slew of songs uh, into their inbox uh, pretty soon. Yeah, I, I was thinking about um, I was thinking about the studio stuff. It's it's a I, I think I really like the studio stuff, and I think what I'm going to do next time is 
I'm not going to fuss around with the music industry stuff, you know, in, in quotation marks. You know, where you try and get promo and, and, and reviews and all that malarkey. I'm not going to bother with that. My job, really, isn't it? I mean, I really loved doing the album. And then once the album was complete... And I just got myself into this lovely production schedule where I was kind of nailing it. Do you know, you know how you start doing a job and at first it takes you a while and then you, you get into the kind of habit of it and you, you start having all these little efficiencies that you pick up and you just start getting better at things because you're doing it more often. I was in that place and I was I was really enjoying it and then and then everything stopped because then you have to put the album together that doesn't involve the music, you know, like getting the CD covers together, getting the promo sorted, and uh, getting the tour sorted, and all that admin side, it's not enjoyable at all, and it takes such a long time. So I'm not going to do that in future, I'm just going to release the bloody things. I've got a mailing list, I'll let you know about it. If you want it, you can have it. If you don't, that's okay as well. And I'll just get them out there. You know, because at the end of the day, what I want to have done is recorded my body of work. Um, whether you listen to it is another matter. I'd love you to. Um, but ultimately, I want to create things. And so that's what I'm going to be doing uh, from the back end of this month onwards. And my album launches, if you like, uh, are probably going to be much more low-key than they have in the past. Um, so, yeah, so that's my that's my executive decision. Please pass it on to the plebs. Pass it on to the plebs on the shop floor. I've decided it. I will take no consultation. That's not me. That's a character. I've, um, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm just ticking things off. I think this show's going to be about three hours, by the way, because I haven't spoken to you for a fortnight. I've got loads to tell you. Maybe I can get through it relatively quickly. <laughs> I'm just chuckling here because I'm remembering. <laughs> I went to my mum and dad's um, last week. Oh, dear. <laughs> Do you know when someone's when someone builds the platform for a question that they're about to ask and you get an inkling about halfway through what it is they're gonna ask and you're thinking, Oh no, please don't ask that. Please don't it be don't don't be that question. Don't be that <laughs> So I'm at my mum's and um my niece are Natalie, she's been travelling the world like for the past few years. She's been She's been living out in Australia and then she goes to kind of New Zealand and Japan and she's all over the place. I, I really admire her wanderlust. And she just goes out on her own, basically. And the, the seems, she seems to have friends all over the world, you know, who kind of wait for her and, and spend time with her when she gets there. But she was on her Facebook. And, of course, my mum's on Facebook. <laughs> and... Um, and so she she put this thing about climbing a mountain with a friend of hers, and she said the high point of the day is that she randomly asked, she randomly asked her friend what what their favourite swear word is, and I think her friend is from China, um, and unexpectedly, um, <laughs> when when my niece asked her friend what their favourite swear word was, they replied rim job. <laughs> So, <laughs> I mean, I see this on Facebook, you know, and I, I didn't comment on it or anything. But I'm at my mum and dad's, you see, and my dad's gone out um, to make a cup of tea. And my mum said, I was looking at our Natalie's Facebook and I'm thinking, oh, no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 don't go there. And she said, she was talking about climbing up a mountain. <laughs> and she said she had a Chinese friend. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. 
And I didn't fully understand it. I didn't fully understand what she meant. What's a rim job? <laughs> like, oh no, no. I said, look, I'm, I mean, I'm quite open with, with my folks, you know. And I thought, I'm not telling you that. <laughs> and she said, well, I'll just look it up now on Google. I was like, no, no, no. Wait till I've gone. If you're going to look it up on Google, wait till I've gone. So that was, <laughs> so that was the first thing. I just didn't think at any point in my life, <laughs> my mother would turn round to me and ask me what a rim job was. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. So I, I contacted, I contacted my niece and I said, uh, thanks for that, Nat. <laughs> I've just been round at your nan's and uh, she's asked me what a rim job is. So uh, thanks, thanks very much. And she said, well, you, you never know. She might already know. I said, no, no, she won't know. She won't know. She she doesn't even eat food if it's been touched by another person. She's she's not going to want to know this. <laughs> but it kind of it kind of got worse because me and my dad were having a discussion. Do you know I have this thing where I don't eat breakfast. And uh, oh, I'll tell you about that actually because I've I've switched it. It used to be one till nine, but I, I was noticing I wasn't enforcing the nine o'clock deadline. So especially if I was up and I was watching a box set because I've been watching Netflix a lot more lately, then I I, I want to nibble, you know, I want to get something and have a have a bite to eat while I'm watching the telly. So what I decided to do is, seeing as I can't really stop eating until eleven, I thought, well, okay, go with that. If that's what you're doing, go with that. Be be someone who stops eating at eleven, but that means because I only eat in an eight-hour period, I I can't start eating until three. So that's what I've done. So every time I talk about this, my dad kind of wants to try it as well. But he's also got this sense in his in his mind that all doctors say that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. So we were having this discussion. He was on Google throwing throwing science at me, and I was on Google throwing science back at him. Um, and anyway, I ended up googling this thing around. You know, is breakfast the most important meal of the day? And for some unknown reason, the second the second thing that came back on Google was how to make breakfast with your vagina. <laughs> I, I kid you not, it was a very innocent search, and the second top return that Google gave me was was how to make breakfast with your vagina. Now I was conjuring all sorts of uh, all sorts of images. I was thinking of you know. Someone holding a porridge spoon with that particular part of their anatomy. So I said, I said to them, I said, can you believe what's come up on Google here? It's how to make breakfast with your vagina. And I just had to click it. I had to click and they wanted to know. You know, they were curious as well. I couldn't deny them that closure. And um, so I had a little read and I said, oh, I said, it's people who are making yogurt made from vaginal secretions. <laughs> Oh, you should have seen my mum's face. She was like, oh, the dirty bastards. <laughs> the dirty bastards. What? What's wrong with people, Alec? What's wrong with people? What's happening to the world? <laughs> so it was quite traumatic, that visit, really. One, one reason or another. <laughs> oh, dear. What do I want to tell you about? Oh, I've, I've got two half-finished songs. Last time I spoke to you, I said I had a half-finished song, and I... I wasn't sure if it was someone else's tune. I'm still not sure. It's nearly done, that one. And I've got this other one as well um, that I started writing. 
I just need some time to finish the things. I know that there's a real danger with half-finished songs because they remain that way forever. But honest to God, I'm my last last week was so busy I couldn't even do the podcast. Never mind, just give myself that kind of creative headspace just to let the song finish itself, you know. Because you do need a little bit of space. You need to be like, right, today is for the song, rather than doing it when you when you're in a rush. But next week's going to be crazy as well. So I think they'll be half finished um, right through next week. I mean, next week on Monday, I'm coaching. On Tuesday, I'm coaching. Um, on Thursday, I'm coaching. On Friday, I'm coaching. Um, and it's my mum and dad's anniversary as well on Friday. Um, I sung um, train on the train to Barcelona um, at my last two gigs because it's their 55th wedding anniversary. And I thought that's appropriate because it's a song all about the true story that happened on their honeymoon um, <laughs> when someone decided to pick on my mum and then and then regretted it because uh, <laughs> my dad gave him some consequences, let's, let's put it that way. Um, and then on Saturday and Sunday, so again, I'm wondering when I'm going to do the podcast next week, but on Saturday and Sunday, I start, I, well, I restart my psychotherapy course at a new training establishment. So I've had about three years out from doing psychotherapy because a number of things about it really freaked me out, um, you know, around power abuses and stuff like that. I'm not into that at all. You know, I think it, I think this needs to be completely egalitarian. And often it's not. Often it's not. So I've decided to go back. Um, and so I'm quite excited about that, really. Um, I've got lower expectations than last time. I'm going to be a bit more, a bit more realistic, I think. And uh, I'll be starting that. So next week again is absolutely crammed. So I think those songs are going to be um, are going to be uh, half finished for another week. But hopefully I'll get them done because I've not written a song for a while. I've had this little dry patch and then I got a trigger. And then I was in a conversation with someone and a phrase came up and I thought that's a great song title really. Um, <laughs> so I'm 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 working on them. So there'll be two new songs relatively soon, if ever I get a moment. Um I know you're probably thinking there, your Wednesday was free, Al, but often when you're kind of just doing bish bang 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 bang, you know, loads of stuff like that, you just flaked out on a Wednesday, especially if I'm gonna get no rest on the Saturday and Sunday. So I'll probably just veg then. And you never know, sometimes when you're vegging. They're the best moments for creativity, and that's when I'll, I'm, I'm likely to get bored and pick the guitar up. But I'm not going to plan myself anything to do there. I, I've got this invitation as well on the Tuesday. I said I was doing some coaching there, but on the Tuesday, um, I, I've got this invitation to go to like a, a, a business networking meeting, you know, where you meet people who are in business. And But it's a quarter past seven in the morning. What's that about? Quarter past, I didn't even know there were two quarter past sevens. I was like, what, there's, there's, there's another one. <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah, quarter past seven in the morning. So, I mean, honestly, they do this so, so they, they get in before work. And I don't know, I, I always think, well, surely that's part of your work. Just do it at a normal time. You know, what time would you have to get out of bed in order to drive down into town and be there for quarter past seven you'd have to kind of you'd have to leave your house at quarter to seven so you're getting up at 5 45 aren't you just to get to this this thing i don't know it sounds insane to me really but i might go to it i reckon i probably won't but we'll see i mean 
I'd go to something after work, you know, because I'm more of a, an evening person than a morning person. What happens with me, because I'm a bit of an insomniac, if I have a reason to get up, if it's like, right, you need to go to sleep now because you have to get up at a certain time, that's when my insomnia plays havoc. Because it's like, it gets all stressed then, you know. Go to sleep, I'll go to sleep. No, you need to go to sleep. You need to go, I'm trying to go to sleep. Yeah, no, but you need to try harder. I'm trying really hard. <laughs> and so I'm up then. I'm up then. Like, if I had to get up at 5.45, I'd be up until 4. And uh, yeah, I'd be no good to anybody. So that's a possibility on Tuesday. But yeah, you can hear my level of enthusiasm for getting up. I mean, honestly, business people of the world, chill, man. Chill. Chill. Uh, oh, what was I going to tell you? Oh, I've, I've, I'm still doing my improv group on a Tuesday. We're, we're into the second half of the first half of the play. So we're moving like to, like, I think we did about five scenes of the one story. Um, so that's making progress. But, you know, I, I could do with having a proper chat to, like, a playwright or, or a writer, but one who, who writes to a structure, because apparently there's two different kinds of writers one is called your seat of the pants writer. They just kind of sit there and they write and the story takes shape around them. And then you've got something, something which is called a structural writer where they, they have like a skeleton structure of, of something that every story has to kind of, you know, that has to sort of follow. I mean, the content's going to be completely different, obviously. Um, but I want to talk to one of them structural writers because I've got a little bit of an issue around... Um, this little bit of the play in terms of in terms of how we do it. I mean, I'm working it out just by playing with the other players, you know, because we do things and we think, oh yeah, that should really be this or that would be, work better like this now, wouldn't it? So I'm learning a little bit from doing that, but it'd be good to kind of see the rest of the the rest of the play. I think is straightforward structurally. It's just this little bit before the interval, you know. So in in any story, you've got like. How is it now? And then something happens that changes the whole world, doesn't it? And then they're thrust into this journey. And it's the beginning of that. It's just after that happens and they're in this new world leading up to the interval of the play. That's the kind of bit that feels saggy to me. So if anyone knows anything about that, like story structure or writes plays accordingly, will you drop me a line? Because I'd love to have a chat with you or or just pick your brains or be able to ask you a couple of questions or whatever. Um, yeah, so get in touch with that. I'm on al at parrysongs.co.uk. So that'd be, that'd be a lot of help. Um, what happened this week? Oh, I went to um, Café Psychologique. You know, I go to that. It's um, it's it's good. I like cafe psychology, and they always talk about something which is loosely related to um to psychology. And so we've had like food. Is it friend or culprit? And we've had like um the kind of diagnostic labels and other kind of labels that we put on people in in life. And we've had um how to heal the divisions in the world. You know, shortly after Trump was elected and. There was a lot of divisiveness, and we were talking about that. So it's it's interesting. And then last week, um, yeah, on Wednesday it was. It was about feminism. Um, I wasn't really sure how that fitted into the whole psychology thing, but I, I went along, and um, I thought I, I should take my crash helmet, you know, be a fella, <laughs> you know, because like. Uh, Sometimes it feels like we're the cause of all the world's wrongs. Um, 
Although that came up actually during the discussion, but it was an interesting one. I shared, uh, I waited a bit because I didn't want to be like first speaker, be a fella, because I thought I'm going to get nailed to the wall if that's the case. So I just sat and listened for a bit. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I have this thing you see around around this that I have, I have, I have this theory. It's called the double arsehole theory, and I, sh- I shared it with the, the group. Um, and what that basically means is that I think essentially that both men and women are, are being shit on in by but in different ways. So there's one arsehole pointing at the women, there's one arsehole pointed at the men, and we, we're each getting shit on in different ways, basically. And um yeah, so the, the the point I was making there, I suppose, is that well they were talking about what feminism is, and people often say feminism is just gender equality. And I used to think that too. I used to think, well, it's just another name for that. But I don't think that anymore. I think feminism is is about tackling gender inequality where it hits women. I don't think feminism is something that has on its radar gender inequalities that, that hit men. So, for instance, in Europe, out of every five suicides, four of them are men. And that's not a feminist issue, is it? You know, that's not something that you would expect the feminist movement to really um, go campaigning on. But it is a gender equality issue. You know, it's a... If that if that stat was the other way round, for instance, if for every five suicides four of them were women, I think that'd be a huge feminist issue. It'd be and I, and it's interesting to see if you take a fact and you spin it to and you just change the demographics of it, how the narrative would kind of fit that because we all have script, don't we? We all have narrative. We all have a lens through looking at the world. But can you imagine if four out of five suicides? were women, I'm sure the narrative, which would be quite persuasive, would be that um, this world is so misogynistic that women can't bear staying in it, that in epidemic proportions, women are choosing not to be part of this misogynistic world. But in actual fact, it's not women that's deciding that, it's men. And uh, so the idea, you see, that the world is set up for men, those suicide stats don't really bear that out for me. So um, I find that interesting because I think there are gender inequalities on both sides. And I think feminism's job is to is to um, look after gender inequalities that affect women, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I found myself disagreeing with that idea that feminism is just about gender equality. It's about gender equality for issues that hit women. And, and I'm not arguing with that. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that's what I think it is, really. Um but like an, another thing that I mentioned during the meeting, like men and women are almost not quite um, equal in the workforce in terms of numbers. I think the stats that I saw was that 46% of the workforce now are women. But when you look at deaths at work, 3% of deaths at work are women and 97% of them are men. Now again... If that was the other way round, that would be a huge issue, wouldn't it? And it would be evidence that the world hates women. But I think there is plenty of evidence that the way our society is set up hates men as well, but just in a different way. Um, you know, it doesn't particularly value their life. You know, um, it's not a big issue that so many men kill themselves. It's not a big issue that so many men die in dangerous jobs. It's not an issue, for instance, that so many men, um, you know, when there's a war, it's men that are drafted and conscripted and sent to the front to die. I think our society hates men in a different way, you know. So it's it's kind of interesting. I don't see it through the one lens or the other. 
Um, and of course, the the inequalities that women face are well documented. But it was... Um, so that's my theory, really. Double arsehole theory. Um, so what do you think about that? What do you think about double arsehole theory? Um, <clears throat> the interesting thing is that one of the speakers, one of the one of the feminists there who, who I know, um, and she she was she was basically saying um, that men can't be feminists. She was saying, and I, I was brought up with a similar thing really um, when I was becoming politically conscious. The idea of a man saying, "Hey, my name's Rob, and I'm a feminist," you know, it would have been. I think feminists would have said, no, you're bloody not. You know, you weren't allowed to be a feminist as a man when I was getting my my political education. Um, and I I think I think the reason for that was really the feminism was a was meant to, it wasn't just an ideology. It was a movement, and it was a movement of it was a movement of women. And I think the idea was that that movement really should be self led. You know, um, whereas if see socialists need to be led by socialists. And so you'd expect in the feminist movement, they'd be led and, you know, the decisions would be made by feminists. And so I think my sense going back to the 80s was if men are feminists, then men could actually be the leaders and the key deciders of what the feminist movement does, which for like a a women's self-liberation movement seemed kind of strange, really. Um, So I, I understood that kind of thing that they didn't really want male feminists Although they said it for different reasons, funnily enough. They were saying it because men have never lived as women, which has some implications for the trans community, doesn't it? That that discussion didn't come up, but it was in my head. Um Yeah, I, I don't I don't I don't agree with that actually. Um I think once you're living as a woman, you start experiencing what women go through straight away. You might not have lived as a <clears throat> as a as a as a female as a small child for instance but i think once you're living as a woman you're living as a woman aren't you and you'll experience the same kind of misogyny that others speak sometimes maybe maybe even worse i don't know but that was my sense of it that men weren't feminists because men would end up leading the feminist movement or deciding what the women's liberation movement would be um so yeah i don't know why i'm telling you that oh yeah one of the speakers said Men need to do what feminists have done. So, like, be be in your own movement to deal with some of the things, presumably, that I was talking about in terms of the double arsehole theory, the way that that men are are, are kind of um, shit on by this arsehole <laughs> that's aimed at us. And the funny thing is, although I didn't say it at the time because there was lots of discussion going on, and I I I, I think I agree with that. You know. Um, I I think men should be supporting women's struggle too. This is the one one of the things that I did say. Normally in social progress movements, a big part of your strategy is to join people up. So you might be having a campaign over here, and then there's another campaign over there, and you the big thing you want to do is to try and join the dots and make that a united campaign where you're helping each other out. And it's kind of sad, isn't it, that in the kind of gender equality feel that doesn't happen it's like it's like men and women are seeing each other as enemies in this struggle rather than as partners um but i, I do i do i do agree that that are, there are huge issues that face men that do need to be dealt with you know there are huge inequalities things like the male suicide one in particular really needs to be tackled as a major major issue and um one of the feminists did say that, you know, you need to be doing that. And it's funny because 
whenever men do do that, they're often accused of misogyny. I, th I think for two reasons, really. I think, one, it's often assumed that if men are talking about issues of concern to them and how society is working against them, that it must be this men versus women thing. And so it must be misogynistic in nature. And I think maybe for the second reason is because, to be fair, it does often attract, um, whether in the fringes or, or, or not, I'm not sure, it does often attract misogynistic uh, men with misogynistic views as well who are kind of like, yeah, fuck feminism, man. Feminism gone too far. It, it, it can attract those sorts of voices as well. So it's always a delicate balance to try and care for men in our society without having that kind of misogyny, you know. And I, th I think sometimes just the very fact that you are doing something around around men um, leaves you open to that um, preconception that it might well be misogynistic from the outset. So it's it's very, very difficult to, to do that, I would say. Not that I've really ever tried, but I've spoken about it a couple of times on the pod, haven't I? And um, there was an interesting um, contribution at the end because there was somebody at the group who said that she's part of a... Um, a child sexual abuse uh, network, which is like peer-led. So the people who are running it are, are people who have experienced this themselves. And what she was saying is that it was interesting to listen out for the silences because the silences in her world where she's doing that, um, even though they're obviously male victims of child sexual abuse, um, the, they, they didn't really come to the group. And when they came to the group... They were more apologetic for what had happened to the women than dealing with their own stuff, and they very, very quickly left. And that was kind of an interesting thing as well, I found, because it speaks to that sense of... Um, yeah, it speaks to that sense of silencing that I think men often do experience. I think in our, in our society, you see... And I remember this because I was politically conscious from the age of 12. So do you know when I was like 13, 14, I was reading anything political. And so I used to read Spare Rib a lot because I, I, I just viewed it like the the women's inequality was, was my cause as well. You know, not directly, but just like I was in the anti-apartheid movement and I, and I wasn't a black South African. Um, these, these movements for liberation were mine as well, you know. These were the people who were on on my side of the fence, if you put it like that. Um, so I used to read stuff like that, and I think I I think I grew up as a as a young teenager teenager with a sense of toxicity, you know, that I was toxic because I was male, um, and I, I think there is a sense in our in our society in our discourse that men are perpetrators and. I wonder whether that's something that we need to kind of overcome. I know that some men are, um, but most men aren't, you know. Um, and the idea as well that anything bad happens is male and anything good happens is female. One of the things I really hate, and which I think is quite a reactionary concept anyway, is this idea of feminine and masculine qualities. So when I'm kind, it's a feminine quality. But when I'm being a bastard, it's a masculine quality. I think that's really reactionary, and I think it feeds into this idea that men are perpetrators. I remember Glenda Jackson's speech when Thatcher died. She was the, the only person, really, who stood up in Parliament and told told the truth about Thatcher and didn't just pour, pour syrup all over her. But her final line I found really disturbing, where she 
disowned the idea that she was a woman. Um, and I found that reactionary as well, because to be a woman, surely uh, any kind of liberation means that you have that you're allowed to be any kind of woman. You're allowed to be a strident woman. You're allowed to be, you know, whatever kind of woman you want. You don't have to fit in with Glenda's prescription of what a woman is, surely. Um, but this idea that we have feminine and masculine characteristics, I think it just feeds into a stereotype that just silences important parts of the conversation and also in itself is reactionary. I don't think men are toxic. I don't think men are perpetrators. I think some are. And um, in any other area of life, if you were to kind of place vicarious responsibility on a group... So let's say, for instance, like... Um, that guy goes, doesn't he? And he, he, he blows up the Manchester um, concert thing where where all them kids were going to see to see a pop concert. In the aftermath of that, there were loads of people on Facebook doing the whole fucking Muslims and all that sort of stuff. And people like me were kind of going, well, hang on. You know, this is a guy. You know, this is one guy. And he's allied to, to another small amount of people. And you can't just say Muslims. You know, that's utterly reactionary to put some sort of vicarious responsibility on an entire demographic group for the crimes of one or a handful of people. You know, I can't... My, my neighbour, my Muslim neighbour, can't be held accountable for something that some Muslim individual does, you know, 50 miles away. That's ridiculous. And in the same way, I think exactly the same. You know, when someone goes on Facebook and says, you know fucking men because one man has been has acted like a douche that night um i just don't think that's particularly progressive really uh, and i think it distorts the conversation i've gone all serious at the end there haven't i yeah well it was an interesting discussion anyway it was actually quite a funny discussion there were people there that i've not seen for a while um one of whom i'd studied with and um she like nine years ago and and and, and she came in she was quite funny um, as well with their con contributions. So it was much more amusing than I'm making it sound like. I'm just kind of like throwing up some things that came up for me, um, seeing as I've got this double arsehole theory that I shared. No one objected to the double arsehole theory, by the way. I did expect some debate around it. But um, yeah, so feminism. Uh, escaped unscathed. Um, and what's the next one? The next one... Oh, the next one's a special for Halloween. Check it out. I think you'll like it. It's at the Casa, and it's on the last Wednesday of every month. Right, I think we're nearly coming to the end. Um, I'll tell you what I am reading, though. I listened to an interview with Ray Dalio, who was... Um, he's like a big investor guy. Um, I, I like listening to people that you wouldn't expect me to listen to um, with my politics and stuff. But he was on the Tim Ferriss podcast, and he was talking about principles for life, and he's got this... Um, He's got this book called Simply Principles. It's called Principles by Ray Dalio. And uh, so I'm reading that at the moment. And I'm actually reading it, you know, it's not an audio book. And he's talking about if you establish principles for life. So what he's basically saying is you've got like, uh, when things happen in life, you can either be hit by a blizzard or you can categorize the things that happen. So he was talking a lot about markets and stuff. And he was saying, oh, this is just another one of those. So once you categorize it and stick it in a box, next time you visit something different, you know, that seems different, you can kind of go, oh, hang on, 
This looks as though it's a new thing, but actually, it's just another one of those which I've dealt with before. And then he'd have life principles that would allow him to make decisions about them based on that experience. So he encourages people to start writing their own life principles. So I, I've, I've been writing a few, so I'll leave you with these. Yeah, well, one thing, um, because of my diet, that I thought is quite helpful. If you want to limit your spending of something, whether it be calories or money or time, then restrict the hours you're allowed to spend them. So I only eat between 3 and 11. So let's say I can only order things off the internet online, say, I don't know, on Wednesdays. Imagine if that was my rule. And so if I thought, oh, I want to buy that, I want to get that, yay, let's buy that, and go on the internet and order it, I'm only allowed to do that if it's a Wednesday, and otherwise I have to kind of make a list. And it'll be interesting that, but I'm going to do that, I'm going to try that and uh, see how many of these impulse buys I saved myself from. Or, or, you know, I'm not ready to do this yet, I don't think, but I can only go on Facebook on Thursdays and Sundays. So anything you desperately want to limit spending, whether it be calories, time, or money, how about putting a time restriction in place like I do with my food? So I'm going to experiment with that with, with buying online, because I buy far too much online. You know, I get an idea, and I'm like, ooh, ooh. <laughs> And like you're just a couple of clicks away, and you don't even have to spend money, do you? You just you just press the button which says pay with PayPal, and it's, you don't even pay money. You don't see any of it. You know you don't actually hand it over. So um, the, the, <laughs> there was a time a couple of weeks ago where just like every day, every day there was a parcel. I think, and I wasn't in a lot either. So my neighbours, I think I was really pissing them off, <laughs> knocking on the door. Another parcel. Here's, yeah, here's your parcel, Al. Piss off. <laughs> Yeah, embrace reality. I think that's a good one. Because we spend a lot of time just fighting reality, I think. You know, like, whether we're at the lights and we're like, change, change, you know, the traffic lights. Come on, change, change, for God's sake. But you can't change the lights, so why invest energy in it? You know, so, um, yeah, don't waste energy fighting reality. And so my, my, my kind of philosophy on this now is that I'm going to try and treat many things much like I treat the weather. So do you know, like, um, if it starts raining, I don't, I don't invest any, any energy in that. I just think, oh bloody hell, it's raining. I accept the reality, and I, I get my umbrella. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not standing there out there waving my fist at the sky. Be sunny, goddammit, Be sunny. Go away, rain. While getting soaking wet. But we often do this in life, I think. We fight reality. So that's another principle. I embrace reality. Here's one I'm playing with at the moment. Is, is Let's see what you think about this one. Invite disapproval. Now, I don't mean just go around being a jerk off to everyone. But you know, in those situations, surely I'm not the only one to have had these. Where the alternative is to edit yourself. The alternative is to not be fully you. And in that moment, you do, you decide just like, oh, there might be some disapproval here or some judgment. I'll 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 <laughs> I'll I'll just kind of like I'll edit my answer, so I won't be fully me. I'll just kind of shave little bits off the edges, and I'll be all diplomatic, and and I'll lose my integrity for a moment. Does anyone ever do that? Well, well, my my principle now that I'm going to play with is I'm going to invite disapproval if there's something that I'm holding that I actually think. <laughs> or that I actually want. I'm just going to share it because I, I would rather have your disapproval than me not be me. 
Because, like, I'm meant to be me, aren't I? That's who I am. I'm meant to be me. You know, birds are meant to fly. Dogs are meant to bark. I'm meant to be me. Whatever it is that I am, that's what I'm meant to be. So to edit myself just to try and ensure that I don't hit your disapproval is, is not healthy, is it? So invite disapproval. Welcome it in. Welcome it in. Come on. Bring it on. Bring it on. Now, as I say, I don't want to go around just being a jerk-off to everyone and invite disapproval unnecessarily by being horrible to people. But, like, when you're faced with that choice of editing yourself or or having some disapproval, bring it on. That's, that's, that's where I am at the moment. It's quite a challenge, that, because it's quite a risky one, isn't it? Uh, anything else I've come up with? Oh, yeah, when things don't feel good identify your unmet needs and come up with strategies to meet them and be specific about what must happen so that they're met. And the reason I like that one is occasionally what that does for me, it exposes goals that are never ending. So I realise like, I want this, all right, how do you know when you've got it? And then when I look at it, I start laughing at myself. I'm like, oh yeah, that, that can never work, can it? I'm never going to be happy with that one. And so it allows me to... to just readdress the thing, because otherwise you can be locked into like a, a permanent I will be upset forever kind of thing. Um, doo -doo -doo, what else have I got? Yeah, I come up with this thing that, you know, to be successful professionally or in life really, the, the, the kind of pinnacle is to do things that you actually enjoy, you know, to spend your time doing things that you actually enjoy and receive money for doing them. Yeah, so you start off with what's meaningful for you and then you receive money for doing those things you find enjoyable. But then I thought of what the alternatives are. So this is, this is really where my principle is. To get money for something that you don't enjoy is a bigger problem than enjoying yourself without getting money. So I'll say that again because it's complicated. In other words, if you're getting money for something that you don't enjoy... I think that's a bigger problem than the other way around where you're not getting money but you are enjoying it because the first of those is just a trap because you keep on getting money for this thing you hate you become dependent on the money and then you next thing you know you're looking back on an unfulfilled life whereas when you're not getting money for things you do enjoy at least you're having fun in the moment I mean you might be hungry you might be living in shite <laughs> but at least you're enjoying the moment in terms of what you do and it's often the precursor, I think, to success. So, yeah, I think that's what I think success is, to, to, to get money for the things you actually enjoy. And if you, if you can't get that, then at least have fun and not get money rather than the other way around. So, yeah, so there's some of my um, embryonic principles following Ray Dalio's uh, advice. Um, so what do you think about them? Any, any principles that you think of? So any time that something comes up for me, which is new. I'm going to try and categorise it and, and come up with a principle and uh, see how I get on. So, yeah, I think I've told you everything. Um, yeah, I, I have. I've told you everything. Um, was there anything else I was going to tell you? No, I've told you. I, I think the main thing I wanted to tell you was about, my, was about being asked by my mum about the rim job. God, I would never have thought. I would never have thought that. Then again, I'd never thought anyone could make breakfast with their vagina, making yoghurt from vaginal secretion, so you live and learn. Um, oh, when did I talk to you last? When did I talk to you last? 
I've got a little note in my phone of something I wanted to tell you, but I might have already told you. Oh, let me have a look. No, <laughs> I've got to tell you this before I go. I, I, I've got, I got the gardener in, you know. <laughs> you know, I don't do, I don't do manual labour. I'm useless at anything that involves, <laughs> that involves anything like that, you know. <laughs> so I, I'll, I'll always get someone in to do things like that. So um, I, I've got my gardener. My garden was way overgrown because I, I'd left it a bit because the tree's fallen down in my garden. Well, the tree's still there. Um, because my landlord's not fixed it yet. You know, I think he's got to come and chop it up and whatever. Um, yeah, so anyway, I've got a tree there in the middle of my garden. So I thought, well, I'll wait before the gardener comes. But it was just getting so overgrown and I saw a hedgehog in it one morning and was I thought for a moment it was a rat, but it wasn't, it was a hedgehog. It's funny, isn't it, how, how you like some rodents and not others? <laughs> Do you know, like squirrels, for instance? Squirrel's basically a rat with a fancier tail, isn't it? But we like them. It's like, oh, look at that. <laughs> and and I saw something moving. I was like, it's a rat. Shit, it's a rat. And then I realised it was a hedgehog. And I was like, oh, look at the hedgehog. <laughs> it's very unfair, isn't it? It's very unfair. Yeah, so um, why am I telling you this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the gardener comes and he's got like this strimmer thing and he's got his... Um, He's got his mower and all that sort of stuff. So he comes out, he's making him a drink, and he's out He's out there. He doesn't need to plug in. He's got one of these um, petrol things. And any, anyway, I'm making him a cup of coffee, and my kitchen backs onto the garden, you know, so I've got this window. And as I'm pouring the hot water into the, into the cup for him out of the kettle, I hear this kind of... <laughs> this urgent kind of whacking on the window. Alan! Alan! So I look up and his face is looking horrified at the window. <laughs> and he's going, Alan, cat poop. Alan, cat poop. Now the fact that he said poop meant that I was laughing anyway. Because he hadn't said like cat shit or cat poo even. Cat poop. I mean, <laughs> who says poop? So anyway, he stood there looking horrified. Like he's, like he's, it's, it's like he's undercover, like, you know, for the SAS. Because his face is covered like like camouflage, except it's cat shit. So as he's, <laughs> do you know the way cats go in the in your kind of borders your garden and they 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 let one go there, leave a little package. Well, he's there with his strimmer that's kind of twirling round, catches the cat shit, throws the whole lot in his face. <laughs> so he stood there knocking at the window, cat poop, cat. So I open the door. I help him sort himself out. He wouldn't come in for some reason to clean himself, so I got him some kitchen roll while he was while he was wiping it off his face. And of course, he could smell it because it's right next to his and it's on his face where his nose is. So, <laughs> so his his face is curled up, and every now and then he's going, uh, <laughs> you know, backing off, but he can't back off because it's on his face. So I runs upstairs and gets some baby wipes for him. And he has like these wet ones and clears himself off. But uh, yeah, I had to I had to tell you that. <laughs> cat poop, Alan, cat poop, help me. <laughs> I have no bedside manner at all. You know, I showed no concern. I mean, I did. I, I, I helped him sort himself out. But I was just crying, laughing in his face as he stood there. And I said to him, um, is that the first time it's happened? And he said, uh, no, this... This happens a lot. <laughs> this happens a lot, he said. And one time it went in my mouth. <laughs> oh! <laughs> 
And that's why I don't do manual labour. <laughs> See, for all its frustrations, when you're sat in front of a computer, it's very unlikely that you're going to get a big, a big dollop of shit thrown in your face. <laughs> so I'm going to stay where I am. Thanks very much. So that's the end of the show. Um, on a very pleasant note there. Um, lovely to chat to you again. I'm not sure what's going to happen next Sunday um, because it's it's just bonkers again. And I'm going to, uh, yeah, I, I'm not even in Liverpool. So um, let's see what happens with Sunday. But it might be the week after again. We might have to go fortnightly just, just, just for the next one and we can get back in the swing of things. So thanks for joining me again. Lovely to chat to you. Um, oh, I had the Internationale as the song of the week, so I got a, a nice mention there from Bill Ball, who enjoyed that. So thanks for your feedback, Bill. I love getting your feedback, so leave me a comment or, or drop me a line on al at parrysongs.co.uk. And remember, any of you playwright people, if, you, you're, a, if you're a a structure skeleton type person, give us a shout. I want to have a chat with you. I want to ask you a couple of questions. So I'm going to leave it the song of the week. Again, I don't know what it is yet, but we're going to find out. Here it is. Tatty, bye! was already fallen when I heard about the boy who said how he misses you as you lay in my bed and how he held your heart so long it sure was news to me I scold Isaac Newton can't fight gravity But now I've fallen What do I do now will they say Crawl into love forever Don't know how I'm just a foolish boy With the poet's wounded soul and these things I feel seem outside my control Well, I know I'm too sensitive I bruise so easily How can this love I need gon' do these things to me? And now I've fallen what do I do now, will they say? Crawl into love forever, but don't know how. time you drive away it makes me feel so blue I never know the next time that we'll meet another you do I spend my whole life with an empty diary living lonely days and nights 
just hoping you'll be free And now I've fallen What do I do now, will they say Crawling to love, boy, but I don't know how And now I've fallen What do I do now, will they say Crawling to love, boy, I don't know how And they say Crawling to love, boy I don't know how